That, that area is fascinating to me. It's beautiful. Northern Maine? Yeah. It's, it is beautiful. It's rural. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, with the good and bad that comes out of it. I mean, it is, though. It is the deep south of New England. Yes. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, you get northern New Hampshire, too. But you get, uh, it gets uh, country real, real fast. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 348 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood. Gentlemen. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. This is this is the lost and found episode. So uh, we skipped an episode. If you didn't notice, we had some technical difficulties with the previous episode. Uh, if we ever get that episode figured out, it's going to be posted with 347. And we might have some repeat topics, but just wanted to explain it to everybody. So we, we apologize. Could also, we could also just make it a Patreon episode. <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll do. Just one whole episode to Patreon. Yeah. Just Stephen and I just going into uh, polarizing topics. Yeah, yeah. And, and go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say, is it possible that that one was damned because it's the awkward New York's extra New York City area code? <laughs> <laughs> it, could, it could be. It could be. I mean, it's, it's not quite doomed. the Seinfeld 646 bit, but it's close. Way after that, but it's close. Um. Well, and and Seth wasn't with us on this episode, so we didn't have yeah. you know the technical guru because he was doing uh, a flight back from London. I was, uh, or a flight to London. I don't know. Or, yeah, I guess probably coming home at that, or was just in London. Um, yeah. So I flew over on Wednesday night on the inaugural August eleventh uh, as a birthday present to myself. My birthday was Thursday, so that was exciting. Um, there actually were two other people celebrating their birthday on board. Wow. Of like 110 people, so that seemed like a disproportionately high number. But, <laughs> um, a little hard to get birthday candles on a plane. Turns out, yeah, yeah. But, and and when you were just doing it for the cake, weren't you? Right, really. That's all I wanted, and it didn't happen. <laughs> I'm terribly disappointed. No, it was. I got to say, I think the economy class offering JetBlue put together is more than the route demands. Um, it's too much, which is a bizarre thing to say for someone who likes all of the you know fun and bits that happen on airplanes, but. Uh, good pitch, right? Good space for your knees. I we had I had an empty middle seat, but even without that, when I when I originally got on board, that my row was full, and then someone moved. Um, like the personal space issue, people talk about. Oh, you want to be on a wide body going across the Atlantic, and my comment would be, I had way more space on this plane than I would have had on a triple seven or a seven eighty seven. Mm. Just think about how those seats are squeezed in on the back. Uh, it this was better uh, in that context, and then the meal was absolutely amazing. It was served at midnight, yeah, which is a problem. Eleven thirty, I think the food finally came down in front of me. But uh, they did it's drink service. Then first, you got to get to any altitude, but whatever. But then, like drink service, meal service, dessert service, drink service, and even with only fifteen rows of economy, the whole spiel took like two hours i went to sleep before i went to sleep before the second drink service and we were two hours into trip i thought you, i thought you were gonna say they were finishing up as we were landing it's two flight attendants working the back cabin and three up front in mint um for 24 seats in mint so that distribution sort of makes sense i mean two flight attendants should be able to handle 100 people i guess but it just and they did it like they were hustling and they had I think actually I know they had extra flight attendants. I don't think they were in the aisles, but they had extra flight attendants on the plane because they were flying somewhere over to work future returns. Mm-hmm. But it was there was a lot going on and it was just it was I'm torn. Like I really enjoyed the meal, the breakfast. Even I joked they uh, you could either get like a cup of fruit like every other airline in the world or a hot chocolate croissant or excuse me, pan of chocolate. Um 
It's not a croissant and people will get very pissy with you about that if you're not careful. Um, the, but the fruit, instead of like two pieces of old melon and three grapes was blackberries and blueberries and like fancier oh, fruit, right? They paid the something extra with order. A, yeah, something with an extra flavor. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> but it, like you could, it's clear that JetBlue is spending more money on catering than the average airline, but it also like the, the meal took so long. I just can't imagine how that's worthwhile. And I learned on the way back, they're fully catering the flights, or at least in business class. Like, so even if it goes out with 12 people in business, it's 24 meals. Well, and it's the JetBlue style. So they do, you pick like three of five things for your first meal and two of three things for your second. Mm-hmm. And my flight had six coming home in business class. I think that was on Monday, on Tuesday or Wednesday. I think they were at four. Loads are light. Uh, I've been flying at around 50 to 60 people every day on a 138 seat plane. So not not great news, but new route, only half the route, you know, only the US side is open for business. Like Brits can't come here, generally speaking. Um so I get some of those challenges and they wanted to get started anyway. So fine, good on them. But also, yeah, the business class cabin, when I asked for my snacks or whatever, and I said something, the flight attendant was like, she said, oh, we got, don't worry, you can have that too. I was like, wait a sec, are you fully catered? She's like, yeah. <laughs> like, but why? She's like, well, what if 18 people bought walk-up tickets? Like tongue in cheek a little bit, but it's, I, I just don't see how that's a smart choice among other things, but I don't know. I mean, so when you say it wasn't very full in the back on your flight out, right? How many of those 114 seats, how many did you say there were? So on the outbound flight, the outbound was super interesting on the inaugural. I think that JetBlue purposefully didn't sell most middle seats. Okay. Um, There were, so what, it's 114 seats in economy. Three are blocked for crew rest, so it's 111. Uh, I think we probably filled 70 or 80 of those, 80 probably. Oh, wow. So that's 30 empty middle seats. So maybe 20, there are probably 20 to 25 empty middles. If I, okay. right, like the row in front of me was full uh, because of, and it was like B and C of the row in front of me in my row, that four block, were all filled. And then the guy on my row in C moved across the aisle and we spread out. But that was a family of four traveling. They happened to be going to Birmingham and flew over on this flight to London and I guess drove up or something. Like, is it possible they, they're fully catering just to figure out what people want? Could be like and I, I get that to an extent, but um, at some point you got to not do that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but this is all fresh for them, right? So you're better you're better off to be over prepared than under prepared. You know, absolutely, the, absolutely, the age, I get that. Yeah, the age old adage of you know your guests will never remember if you have too much food, but they will remember if you never have, if you don't have enough. Yeah, of course. I just when you know you know if forty eight hours out or whatever, when you got to talk to the catering company, you know you've only sold six seats. Maybe tell them to cater for 12, not 24. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and yes, that might mean you you block the cabin and you only sell the extra six seats, right? But like you're going to sell those at enough money that it's worth it. I don't know. I just – and little things, maybe they maybe they figure out, maybe they don't. It just seemed – it seems very wasteful to me. Um, I mean do you, think they, do you think they'll speed up the service and coach? I, I'd like to think that sort of as they get used to it, it'll move a little faster. Also, certainly with half the cabin empty, it'll go faster. The- Go ahead, Fuzz. I was going to say, I guess, what are the walk-up fares? Uh, A woman bought a walk-up coach ticket home. Uh, On on my return flight, she bought a ticket from London to, I think, South Carolina, probably Charleston. Um, I think to JFK, they were walk-up fares were about 600 in coach and 2,000 in business, plus or minus. It's not shabby. No. Um, It's definitely, I mean, it's way cheaper than they used to be with the legacies. So I understand, you know, that, that, that part of it is working, certainly. I am annoyed that when I went to change my ticket coming home, I tried to come home a day early. 
And even on a revenue ticket, but especially on an award ticket, their answer was, oh, you just cancel, get back whatever you had, and we reprice it as the new rates. It's not, even on revenue tickets, it's not the old world of you've flown the outbound and you have a ticket in I inventory. If we have I inventory, you just pay the change fee and move on. That sucks. They charge full fare difference. And so for me to change my ticket home became that it was 2,200 pounds uh, for the walk up ex- out of Britain, um, not $2,200. So it was going to become more than triple my outbound, uh, my original price. So AA I does it on some fares too, even domestically. Yeah, I did not do that. That sucks. I mean, that's not, I mean, I get why they're doing it, right? Collect more money. Uh, but it seems like a poor experience for the customer. Well, it's, it's, I actually think it's just how they do change fees now. I, the more I look at the rules of, you know, starting reading into the rules because JetBlue typically only sold one-way fares. Yeah. Um, these are the only round-trip fares they sell right now are U.S. London. So it's sort of new world to them, but that seems to be the choice they've made in terms of how they're doing it. Um, I think oh, that's so, part of it. So they don't price these tickets as round or as one ways. No, I mean, you can buy a one way, but you it's mostly sold as a round trip. If you buy a one way ticket, it will likely be more expensive than a round trip. Wow. Okay. Right. I mean, it's traditional airline pricing, not LCC, yeah. new entrant, whatever you want to call it, world pricing. So, uh, mm-hmm. and th- right now it's only in this market that they do it. Right. Yeah. They historically have never done that. So. A lot of learning curves uh, all around. I, I did the Mint Studio coming home, which is the row one thing. Yep. So a little extra space. Uh, you get pajamas. Just cool. in that seat? Just in row one. <laughs> <laughs> so they they bring two sets of pajamas on the plane. Uh, they do. I think, it was, well, the other guy also took large. I took a large and she had a spare large to give me. So there were at least three larges on board. Um, and she had said they had the small, medium sizing also available. So. I, yeah, part of me wonders, like, do they just keep them in, like the half dozen in the cabinet and, or the dozen in the cabinet and restock them whenever people actually take them? But so the pajamas are a neat touch. Uh, you get an extra pillow if you're in the mint studio. Okay. And it took a lot of self control not to bring that pillow home. Oh, that was it. Sorry. That was the other thing. Speaking of self control to not take things home, the blanket in economy is a real blanket. Like, oh. a real blanket. How long do these those start disappearing? I would imagine not all of them made it, stayed on the on the inaugural. I was <laughs> I was sorely tempted. Um, I did not, but I Lord knows I wanted to. Uh, like they, they're like blankets I would wouldn't mind putting on my couch at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Um, just it was really nice, as opposed to especially compared to like the gauze that you get on Continental United or American these days. That's, that's a very good way of describing it. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> You guys don't remember when like there was outrage when Continental, I think it was Continental, downgraded their blankets to like literally gauze. Okay, <laughs> it was yeah. terrible. It was like probably 2004, 2005. And then like it got bad enough that they actually switched them back. But they shipped me they shipped me the new blanket to prove that they had changed them back at one point. <laughs> please um, write about this, please. Basically. Um, so, no, they, but they're real blankets. It was nice. Like the, the product, and again, with the how expensive is that, especially if they start walking away and on the one hand, if you can charge it to the marketing department and say, but people will have the JetBlue blanket in their house and they'll probably fly us again, that's good news. Maybe it's worth it. But also, you know, that means you got to keep buying blankets. So, um, but sorry, back to the mint side of things. It's really nice. I think, actually, I actually broke my seat. I tripped the circuit breaker when Oops. I put it down into bed mode. And I was like, hey, so we were joking about me play- breaking the seat and not getting any more snacks. I actually did. I'm very sorry. Could you please fix it? Uh, <laughs> you didn't try to plug in a toaster? <laughs> literally all of a sudden the uh the this diabetes screen went dark and then i looked over and the little light went was out and then i looked in like the seat uh number thing on the side of the sweet store was off and i was like yeah this is dead um 
So I got him. So the good news is she actually, she's like, well, you know, pick any of the other 18 seats available and go ahead and take your nap and we'll get it. We'll see if we can get it sorted. I'm like, and if not, I'll sit somewhere else and we'll land. It's fine. Like whatever. Uh, they were able to take pictures, send them back to tech ops using the Wi-Fi, And, you know, 90 minutes later, when I woke up from my nap, my seat had been completely reset. I had snacks sitting there waiting for me and it was all good. And they told you, don't, don't break it again. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that's one of the things I typically enjoy about JetBlue in this especially in mint and this was this experience was no different is the flight attendants they have working mint flights and especially the mint cabin on mint flights are just stupendous i love that experience they're friendly they're fun they're like i was taking pictures and the flight attendant came over was like oh no you need to be in these pictures let me do this hang on let me work on the angles i gotta get all the shots for you like loving it like just having fun with everybody and if you want to be left alone they left you alone but like the level they can read the passengers very well. They they know what they're doing there. I really enjoy that experience. And that's I mean that's culture, right? Like yeah. company culture. So uh, I I wonder. So a couple of couple of questions for you. So with the suite, is the space worth the premium? Like, is there a reason to book this particular one over the other seats? You know, sort of it comes down to how much extra are you paying. Mm-hmm. But generally, I would actually probably say no. I don't yeah. think um, when I slept, uh, like I said, I slept in one of the regular seats. And it was fine. Um, they're tall enough for me, certainly, uh, to be comfortable in it. The, I would say, so space-wise, you get sort of like the extra space next to you, which is nice. And they, they say that you can bring someone to sit with you in the suite to eat. Right now, that's actually not working. The seatbelt was sort of locked off and you couldn't sit there. I briefly mm. just in my own suite slid over. But, you know, like... I think Virgin did it and had a very similar shape angled seat, uh, but you sat on the footrest. In the mint suite, you sit next to them, not in the footrest. Interesting. Okay. Um, so you're like, your knees would be touching if you is did there, this. Is there enough table space? There, a second little table slides out Okay. Uh, for the side seat. On the plane that I was on, it was a little broken already. Yes. It's literally like the second time that plane had gone to London and that seat and the tray table wasn't working right. So... We're calling that fit and finish issues uh, in the, the cabin, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'm sure they'll get it sorted, but the plane turned right back around and went back to London after I got off, so I didn't fix it for that flight. Um, it's And it's like they, they also make a big deal advertising it as like the largest bed space by square footage because they take full credit for that like triangle-shaped space mm-hmm. because it becomes part of the flat bed. I can't figure out how someone would use that when sleeping. You'd have to like be on your side and in the weirdest fetal position shape I can imagine. And it's not a smooth transition across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's a gap. There's not a gap. They're touching, but like it's at slightly different levels and slightly different firmness of padding and this and that. Like it's when I sat on that part of the seat, I was surprised how firm it was relative to the regular space. So little things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So is it is it worth also, you're right up at the galley, and I was talking to the guy across the aisle from me on the way back, and his, he flew mint both ways. He came over on the second flight and then went home on Monday, so he did like a three-night three, day, three night weekend in London. Um, he said he flew in a regular seat for the red-eye service and came back in row one, and he's like, you know, with the amount of noise coming out of the galley, I probably wouldn't – I would prefer not to be in row one for the red-eye. And Maybe they're better about not you know, kibitzing on a red-eye, one would hope, but it's a six-hour flight. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you said you weren't going to eat and you, or you weren't sure you were going to eat. So it sounds like you didn't really take the full meal. You took part of it on the outbound or on the return on, on the outbound. I actually, so I stayed awake and ate the full meal. I skipped the second drink service. That was it. So, I mean, that late at night, yeah, yeah like that late at night, I would probably just sleep. Right. Like I, but, but again, if you've got people around you making noise, um, 
So in my experience, in my experience, coach or otherwise, if I put my earplugs in and put my eye mask on, Mm -hmm. um, and now with the regular mask on my face also, which makes it a little harder because my whole face starts sweating. But um, I've managed to sleep even with people near me eating. I get into a window seat, I put my head against the wall and I fall asleep. I'm pretty, or used to at least be pretty good at that on board. So is it, it's better without that, but I get it, right? Like if it was the 6.30 departure or the 7 o'clock departure, I could understand having the meal service. I I wish there was a way that you could choose like, I'll take a $10 voucher in the terminal instead and buy myself a sandwich or have mm-hmm. it, you know, split the cost of the sandwich with the airline and just, you know, the airline has taken care of you on the ground. You're fine. Maybe you do that and only get the dessert on board. I don't know. There's, I wish, and obviously the logistics of doing this and they have to still cater all of it and whatever, the only airline I think I've seen do it well in terms of the catering side is Air France, which if you eat in the JFK lounge, they take your boarding pass, they mark you off. And if you get on and you get the same meal as is served on board, mm-hmm. it's literally the same menu. And when you get on board, they say, no, Mr. Miller, you've already had your dinner. Good night. Like, <laughs> welcome aboard, Mr. Miller. We understand you've already had your dinner. If you need a drink or anything, let us know. Otherwise, we look forward to waking up with a pan of chocolate on approach into Paris. Yeah, yeah. So, but everywhere else, I'd like if you do the BA dining at JFK, you can get on board and have a whole nother meal if you want. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think. I mean, it's great to have more service. Um, it looks like a great plane as long as they keep it up, which I'm sure they will. I wonder if JetBlue will actually turn around and use these uh, as they figure out their their scheduling as as a domestic product as well. So, so there's one a day turns or six days a week turns to LA right now. Okay. Um, and the, I don't know if it actually arrived last week or not. The third plane was supposed to arrive last week. Um, now that I think about it, there was some picture, the guy in pair in Toulouse who does the spotting, uh, or in Hamburg, I forget which one he's in, but had a picture of it, but said it was not the delivery flight or not the acceptance flight. So I'm not sure it made it, but they're getting there. They're going to have a third. So they'll be able to sort of sub them in from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in, but they're also by late September are supposed to add Gatwick service. Hmm. So, so they, they may need the plane for that. And you kind of, well, you, you know, you got one flight, you need three planes for that, right? One going to each of the two locations in a spare in case something breaks. Yep. yep. And so you can, you can do a, a West coast turn in the middle of the day, but you need to make sure you've got that plane back in New York every night, just in case. Gotcha. So, I mean, and the, and the fleet's going to grow, but they're also, they're right. They were talking about, I think they said Glasgow and Manchester as the possible next destinations were rumored. Um, what's interesting about that to me is like Glasgow's never struck me as a particularly business heavy market. And this plane's got 24 business class seats. Yeah. It's got, for this to be successful, they've got to find business travelers. Yep. Yep. I mean, how far into Europe can they go? Uh, with the LR Paris, Amsterdam, um, not Germany. You can probably do Ma- Madrid and Barcelona. Y- yeah, or Lisbon. Yeah. I mean, it so, seems like that. That's. I mean, I, I would think Paris would be have. You know. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it as equivalent to the seven fifty sevens. Yeah. Options and right and occasionally that the, you know right, Continental and then United did some German cities on the seven fifty seven and it was either weight restricted or pit stopping and Gander. So. Good old uh, Cologne, Stuttgart. Yeah. What else do they do? Dusseldorf. One point. Yeah. Hamburg. Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I did the Cologne and Hamburg routes on it. Yeah. Um. I think we've talked this to death. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I, go take the trip. I think it's I think it's a worthwhile product in both cabins, and it's certainly helping keep the prices down. Especially if you can find one of the sales or like uh, connections to certain cities, drop the prices significantly from just the New York pricing in yeah. some cases. So yeah. um, those will be good value opportunities across the Atlantic for for sure. Um, Korean, 
is announcing or has announced their plans on how they're going to get rid of their quad jet planes. So A380s and 740s. Sad days. Um, good, good news, bad news, right? They, we know when they're going away is the bad news. Or the good news is it's going to be a little while. Yeah. Uh, roughly five years for the 380s and 10 years for the 748s. Oh, so the 748 will be around for a while. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and I think Korean is similar to British Airways when it retired. It's 747s. Um, Korean is similarly a very long-time operator of the type. Like 57 years at this point, they've had some sort of 747 in their fleet. Wow. Or 57 years when it ends, but either way, it was, that's the, st- the stat I saw tossed around. So, yeah, it's a crazy number. That's wild. Does um, do you think the A380s they'll repurpose them, or is it kind of like they're just going to retire them and move them on and return them to the lesser type thing? Or is there is there a plans to because they have a cargo wing, right? So yeah, funny. but I don't I don't see 380 cargo operations ever happening. No, just too much plane. It's too much plane. I mean, yeah. At best, you could sort of convert the main deck into an upper deck cargo. Like, I think the belly has almost no cargo capacity. Gotcha. So just from a container perspective. And then you'd be looking at converting the main deck essentially to be like upper deck cargo. Otherwise, I mean, you'd need a crazy crazy tall scissor lift to get cargo up to the top deck. Structural challenges. I can't imagine it's rated to support that level of weight. And what would it take to reinforce Mm -hmm. the deck? And then the plane was never... Maybe briefly someone toyed with the idea. I actually didn't. I think FedEx talked about getting 380s for cargo maybe at one point, like way back in the day when the plane was still in design, but it, I don't I think it was, that was really going to happen. I thought it was UPS, not FedEx. Yeah, one way or the other. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's clearly never going to happen. Um, yeah. So no, I don't, I don't think there's anything for them to do but become scrapyards or like fly them places and turn them into tourist attractions. Like here's a hotel built into an A380 or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, um, so we did, sorry, FedEx did have an order for 10 A380-800F aircraft. Huh. Look at that. The order canceled in 2006. That wasn't out there very long, was it? Uh, and UPS also had an order that canceled in 2007, it looks like. Both of them. Anyway. Um, we talked about this on the last show that was lost, uh, but I think it's worth re- rehashing and going through it here. Uh, there was an incident with Turkish at Newark, uh, and uh, they attempted to take off from the taxiway. They were stopped, thankfully, but yeah. But they got up to 80, 90 knots, I think, if I remember yeah. correctly. 90 knots, yeah. Uh, this is terrifying. <laughs> were they, so did control did the tower say sort of line up and wait and they said yes we're in position and they said you know go ahead or did like they, did no, they one gave check, them, no one checked that they were in the right place when they said go ahead they gave them a line up and wait or i, I think they actually just gave them a line up and take off like they just okay. gave them a clear for takeoff on the runway and then when they started rolling i think someone noticed and that's when they, the, the tower directed them to cancel their they canceled their clearance okay so they were from the taxiway, like the adjacent taxi, were like, go ahead when you get there, feel free to depart. So no one actually made them, no one double checked them that they were in the right position before saying go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm, so I'm reading the clearance here. They were cleared for takeoff from normally 22 right at intersection taxiway whiskey, but they actually ended up crossing 22 right and lined up on the taxiway Papa, which is parallel to 22 right. And they the runs, take- Is that the one that runs between the two runways? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, at least there's usually not planes taxing up and down it, although. When they land, they usually are parked at the far end, like waiting to cross again. Yeah. Exciting. I mean, Foz and I last time talked about this. We were talking about it it takes quite a bit of confusion, right, to do this because there's there's three sets of hold bars at that that taxiway where they were cleared, like the intersection where they were cleared. Um, 
which means that they were sitting at a hold bar when they took off. So maybe, also, I mean, it was, like, was it daytime or nighttime? nighttime? It was nighttime. So different colored lights, right? That's what we're wondering. Like, so does I Newark actually have different colored lights than run? They do. They're, They're supposed to. Two different, two different types, right? There's the, the taxiway, the blue lights that, that are on the side of the taxiway. Mm-hmm. But there's also, sometimes airports don't have the blue lights. They have a, a green light on the taxiway itself. Okay. And that's like down the center line of the taxiway. So I don't know which one Newark has. I think it has blue lights, but I can't remember. Um, but, so if but anyone either, knows. But either way, the real runway has white lights down the center and on the sides, right? Correct. Or white and red, like yep. Yep. roadways and whatnot. Yeah, yep. so green and blue would still be wrong. Yes. I mean, maybe colorblind pilot. I thought you had to disclose that, though, when you become a pilot. I, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I'm making shit up. But um, no, that seems that seems bad. I mean, the, the other one, the other challenge right now is right. They're repaving that runway, so there's a lot of extra lights on the runways in that uh, area. Right, so, they're painting the other one. The yeah, two, two, yeah, two, two left. So the question is, are you know, are they uh, causing more confusion with the yeah, extra is, lights? Yeah, is it clear what what you know the taxiway lights and everything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. Remember, this doesn't happen that often, but a, a Delta seven six seven landed on the taxiway at. In Atlanta in 2009. But Newark 75 landed on the taxiway in Newark. United. And yeah, United a couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, 2017 nearly landed on a taxiway. I mean, I'm just... There's, uh... It, it is crazy that it almost... Out, what the hell? The Air Canada thing that almost, like, killed 800 people in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was another one. Um, four years ago. Wasn't... Uh, was that... They were land, They landed on the wrong thing? They were... They were... They, they, they were, were lined up... They were lined up to land on the taxiway where there were three 747s waiting to depart. Or They're like, hey, this, guy, this guy's this guy's landing on us. Is I remember the he's, call from one of the United pilots. Yeah, yeah basically someone's like, uh, he's going to hit us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right? I, mean, so, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's good that it, no, no one got hurt in any of them. I think I think, too, like we, you know, there's also at the end of these runways, which I'd, I'd have to look, um, there's usually flashing lights at the hold bars. Um, so I'm wondering maybe those are disabled in this case, or maybe they're not present at the intersection. They should be, I would think, but maybe that maybe they're not. I don't know. Um, the other thing, fascinatingly enough, is that a United plane, uh, just a, a few weeks ago, maybe a week ago, uh, hit some of the taxiway lights exiting to two right. So, you know, probably not related, but. Clearly, this two-two right thing being it being the only runway really open right now. I mean, you have the cross crosswind runway, but two-two left being closed is causing some, I think, problems. When what did it hit them with? Like, was it a like a seven thirty-seven and it clipped them with the engine, or it was a seven eight X? And probably, it, it, if you look at the diagram, they tried to make a, a like, really sharp turn, a hundred and twenty degree turn. And so, the, the, my guess is because it was a high speed exit, and they tried to make make a right onto the parallel taxiway rather than crossing that parallel and going onto the next taxiway. I'm just trying yeah. to like, how, I I guess what I never have thought about is how tall are those lights because most and and then how far off the ground are the planes? Like, they, I think they probably ran over those lights because the seven eight X the engines are still tall enough to clear the lights. The lights are not that tall, yeah. but because he made such a sharp turn, he probably didn't realize that he was going to hit some of the lights on the way out. I have a feeling, yeah. I feel I have a feeling he went in the gra- grass a little bit or off. I guess there's no grass there, but he went into like the green area um, of of the taxiway. Hit him with the nose. Yeah, nose hit him with the nose gear or the I mean, even the the main landing gear. Yeah, but I mean, that, it's it's wild. So maybe let's uh, let's get let's hurry up and get that paving done. How about that? 
<laughs> so I'll call the port authority, see what I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Singapore Airlines is starting Los Angeles Taipei service, and I believe this is three times a week. Uh, and Foz and I kind of talked about this a little bit, and we can't really figure out what's going on. We have we figure it has to be cargo because the our understanding is that Singapore cannot sell the connection to. Uh, Singapore itself in either direction. So it can't sell Singapore Taipei LA and it can't sell uh, LA Taipei Singapore. It can only sell uh, Singapore Taipei and then uh, Taipei LA and vice versa. So there can't be a ton of people. There there can't be a lot of people taking this, right? Because Taiwan is closed. Um, Or maybe they're just, you know, microchips need seats. <laughs> you just put the put the whole uh, put the whole wafer on on a seat. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's, be fine. it's like that flight where they flew the birds, right? <laughs> the Falcons. Yeah, the Falcons. <laughs> each each wafer gets a seat. Yeah. Give them a blanket. Make sure they're cozy. <laughs> a good blanket, though, right? We want to make sure you, you can't use the polyester. That shit will get static electricity. You'll destroy the wafers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a nice exactly. anti-static blanket. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, I think it has to be cargo is what's really driving this, and I. I mean, looking back, Foz and I looked and saw that they actually operated this route in what would we say, Foz? Was it 2010? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was the it was a route that Singapore's had its only accident on because that was the flight that they were doing Taipei to LAX. They took off on a closed runway and hit the equipment at the end. Oops. Speaking yeah. of speaking of runways, issues and taxiways and runways. But, yeah. I mean, what do you think, Seth? This has to be cargo, right? I would I would assume so, especially with how little passenger traffic there is in and out of uh, Taiwan right now. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I do wonder if they're sort of ramping up towards right. The, the comment I think I made when this was originally announced a couple weeks ago was, well, it beats connecting in Tokyo right now. Um, but also, the other connection point that Singapore has used is Hong Kong. Yeah. And I cannot help but wonder, sort of on a grander scale, with changes over the last couple of years. Is Hong Kong going to become a less significant point in the sort of global marketplace, whether it's cargo, passenger, banking, trade, tourism, whatever, given how things are changing with uh, government and how it's, you know, is it really, you know, it's no longer being treated nearly as separate as uh, mainland China from mainland China as it used to be. Yeah. So Which, maybe they're sort of testing the waters of shifting some of that business here. Um, also keep in mind that the Hong Kong Singapore bubble, uh, is cl- is closed and canceled that it never opened but they talked about it. it was right that was one of the first markets that talked about we're gonna have a travel bubble when people are vaccinated and there's and or even not even vaccinated but when case rates stay low enough and they announced what the statistics were going to be and never got there and yeah. officially declared that that one's dead yeah i i think i mean that, that could be definitely be part of it both of those things the other thing too is singapore is you know talking about reopening um yeah and I think, you know, they're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about it on the bonus episode about Singapore and Germany uh, and that travel bubble, I guess that you could call it. Um, but, you know, they, maybe they're prepping for that as well. Like, what, was it, what does it look like for us to reopen? Which Taipei is not the biggest help, but, but maybe they're looking at it from the perspective of we need L.A., Singapore nonstop to be passengers. And we need something else to carry the cargo temporarily. And maybe that's, maybe that's Taipei or Tokyo even. Yeah. yeah. That could, that could be it. I don't know. Um, let's talk about Allegiant. Uh, we talked about their rewards program a little bit, I believe, on a previous show. Uh, you have more details now, Seth. Yeah, they did a weird job announcing it, uh, to be blunt. They announced that they were going to have a new program and then put it in their earnings release. And then a couple weeks later, actually announced it. So <laughs> it took, you know, making sure everybody knows. Did they embargo um, themselves? Is that, is that what happened? They didn't break their own embargo, no. <laughs> um, so, so does Allegiant uh, Elite Size bring you a... Uh, Dull stick in the eye instead of a sharp stick in the eye. 
Hell. Uh, no, elite, <laughs> no elite status. Don't don't kid yourself. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Just check. Yeah, it's you know it's a pretty straightforward revenue based program. Uh, earn a point per dollar, redeem it a penny a point. Um, they're you know talking about a lot of bonuses and promotions and stuff to sort of go along with all of that. The couple things that I thought were interesting were it's you earn one point per dollar spent on anything at Allegiant.com. Um, and so that includes if you're buying hotels, rental cars, uh, they've got the new partnership for concert tickets with Ticketmaster and Live Nation. So if you buy those things through the Allegiant site, you get your points. Uh, but if you if you go above $500 on the transaction size, it becomes a double point deal. Hmm. And uh, I talked with their chief marketing officer, Scott D'Angelo, and his comment was basically, yeah, of course, like the only way to get there is if you start buying hotels and rental cars also. So we're trying to make people, we're giving people an inducement to consolidate their shopping here. And I, you know, commented like those are, you know, rental cars and uh, hotels are much higher yield for uh, commissions and such for an airline to sell than airfare is in general. So, you know, he's like, yeah, absolutely. We don't want our passengers to be thinking about which, you know, products are different yields and this and that. Cause right, spirit sort of does a similar thing where you get double points on ancillaries, but for like uh, into your uh, free spirit account. So the, it's the similar idea, but uh, Allegiant is just doing it where they focus on spend enough money and you'll get double points in total. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting in terms of trying to encourage those other transactions that makes the company more money and then you get rewarded for them. The other thing uh, he said that I thought was really interesting was essentially, we want to be a program that people play games with. Like we want you to find a way to stack the points that you've already earned with a bonus earned promotion on the remaining spend that you need to cover plus a you know voucher for something else. And da, 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 da. He, there, it's sort of a mix and match payment and promo thing, which for many of the other programs has become a taboo, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody else is like, don't, you can't combine anything. It's one, one thing at a time, um, which is either simple or more complex, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> um, but they want to, they want this to be a little more, uh, I don't know if it's gameable or not, but they, they certainly think it's going to be in that direction. So I think Foz is unconvinced. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm not flying Allegiant. <laughs> I mean, maybe I got a couple routes out of peas. I keep meaning to check them, but that's historically the flight times haven't been good for me. I need to. I need. I mean, they have those that Santa Maria route out of Portland and a few others. Uh, maybe I should sign up for their uh, rewards program. Uh, the other, the, sorry, the other interesting thing I, I just want to throw out there is they've got like 10 million members or 10 million people who in their database who have like registered an account when they bought tickets in the past. So that's an initial 10 million frequent flyer members in the program who will all be registered uh, when the thing launches. They said about a half million of them they've tracked, you know, over the years and, you know, have real CRM stuff and have been tracking this and know that these people have been flying and probably should have had points earned by now. And so they're going to go ahead and pre-credit accounts with points for half a million of their customers, (laughs) which like they're going to spend about $5 million worth of points to do it. But I, I thought that was a really like doing a solid by their existing. And he's again, Scott said point blank, like we're not going to go out and say too bad, so sad. Yeah. It's literally his quote <laughs> um, to these people that we didn't have a program while you were flying. We recognize that you were flying with us. If we had had a program and the earnings would have looked something like this, take the points and go spend them and have fun. Yeah. That's nice. Nice gesture for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, you don't really hear about things like that from an airline. So that actually, especially, I, yeah. especially not from the ultra low cost carrier. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give them a good solid for that. I mean, the, the problem I have with Allegiant, right, is you could take one of their flights, but if you get stuck somewhere, you're kind of screwed. 
I mean, that's the same with Spirit, or at this point, Southwest. Well, uh, Spirit, or, or United, or American, or Delta. I'm sorry, but flights are 95% full anyways. But that's not what I mean. I mean, like, you go, they go into all these secondary and tertiary airports, yeah. right? They are the only game in town. Right. That's that's fair. Like, it's not it, it, it's not that they won't pay for your ticket. It's that there's no other ticket to be had. Yeah. Like, there, there's nowhere. You're you're at their mercy. And some of these places are, you know, if you're, say, you fly into Pease, right? Pease to Portland is a little bit of a hike. I mean, it's not a cheap market. No, you the bus. Yeah, I can tell you exactly how much that overrides it. Actually, if you walk down from the terminal to the bus station, it's about at the other end of the runway. It's a twenty-four dollar bus. You'll be at Logan in an hour and ten minutes. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the voice of experience. Yeah, that's the bus I take down every time. But maybe an hour and a half depends on traffic. But yeah, no. It, but you're right. Like if you get stuck in some of these places, and Pease is an easy one compared to like Santa some Maria. of the. Or Santa Maria, yeah, Santa yeah. Maria. I mean, I've driven through Santa Maria a lot. I mean, you're like three hours from anything. <laughs> Thanks, you're giving me a lot of confidence on taking this flight. It's, it's a, they have an in and out. It's a nice town. <laughs> it's a great place to stop when you're driving up uh, up to between uh, LA and San Francisco. <laughs> they have a museum of flight. So, um, Breeze, what is this funding news, Seth? Two hundred million dollars. Mm, nothing it's to sneeze at. No. Um, so Nealman obviously is took a haircut on his equity position based on that, I have to assume. But $200 million coming in, that's now the $300 million total raised. They're claiming they're the most uh, well-financed airline startup in the history of the world. <laughs> Which, I mean, it is a lot of money. They also, the, uh, the A220s are, you know, eight weeks from being on property, seven weeks maybe. They're supposed to start starting in October, which is surprisingly soon. And it's going to be real interesting. They have a sale leasebacks financing, I think, for the first 15. So that gets them through, you know, they're doing one a month. So that's the first year and change uh, through the end of 22, let's say. And so the, between, you know, the 200 million basically lets them burn some cash while they sort everything else out and get the operations stabilized and really start growing the 8 to 20 operations. Uh, it's going to be real interesting to see what they do with the 220s, though, because unlike the 190s that are basically pennies on the dollar for the leases, because everybody was giving those back. The 220s are going to be expensive, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. They're going to have to get real revenue on those operations. And they're going to, you know, they're operating a real first class on them. Uh, got to see some of the details still. But it should be, it'll be an interesting product, I'm sure. But exactly how um, and what it looks like and you know, where this $200 million gets burned will be interesting to see. Yeah. Avello so. um, is starting some New Haven routes. We talked about this a while back. And yeah, we, they we announced, talk- oh, yeah, sorry, they announced a while back that they were going to have you know service at New Haven and be sort of the uh, the main airline partner at the new terminal there. Uh, they finally announced the new routes launching in early November. You'll be shocked, I bet, if I told you that all four all four of the initial routes are Florida, right? Oh yes, I, I think I think that's what we were actually talking about last when we announced or when we talked about this originally was how many of these routes are going to be Florida. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> all of them. Uh, <laughs> Does the AA still fly to Haven? Yeah, uh, off and on has. I think with the CARES funding they did, and then they suspended when it was briefly gone, and then it came back, and I'm not sure if it's active or not, but just a couple flights to Philly. Um, it's Yeah, these will be the first flights to Florida from New Haven, uh, 737-700 series, because the short runway, 147 seats on board, and uh, yeah. Let's see, they do uh, Tampa, Fort Myers, Orlando, and Fort Lauderdale. Again, shocking collection of destinations. Um, the one thing I will say that's interesting is that from a sort of DOT passengers daily each way, the PDUs, 
um, statistic, which is sort of a measure of what markets have demand. Uh, Chicago and the DC area are both pretty strong from New Haven. And historically, like 90% of those passengers drive to New York City and then fly out of one of the three airports down there. So uh, it seems likely that as the New Haven operations expand, uh, Avello will actually look at some of those. I think Atlanta and Detroit were also mentioned as possible markets. So Delta would be pretty pissed, I'm sure. Um, but it could be interesting to see if they start serving more business-ish markets than the Florida Leisure Party. Yeah, maybe the maybe the Florida Leisure Party to see how things go and then kind of move into some of these more where they, where they have the data to say this, this yeah. makes sense. And right, I mean, the, the Florida flights are four days a week or five days a week on like they're four days a week on two of the cities and then like four i want to say fort myers and tampa alternate two days each and oh, wow. i fort lauderdale do four days each and so it's sort of you know two planes a plane goes down and back in the morning for one of the four day a week services and then that two day a week services they alternate in the afternoons hmm. so it's, it's a, you know a little bit of an interesting aircraft utilization game but uh also just the opportunity to sort of grow into that stuff and so if you've got two planes and you need both to do, you only need one and a half basically to do the route that they've published. You could add another two ish hour range turn in the afternoons, four days a week, basically with the aircraft that they're going to have based there. Uh, assuming that they operate reliably and don't need a spare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the question, right? Is like, is, can they operate reliably um, consistently? Uh, yeah. And I think they're supposed to have a third seven, three G coming. So that would help that, also. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. How do you know how they're going to get? I mean, because they have their operations in Burbank. Are they? I mean, most of their stage links aren't that long. So how no, are they going to get planes back and forth? So I don't think they are. I think the G, the seven three G is going to be based in New Haven, and gotcha. the seven three eights are going to be based in Burbank, and that's that. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. And they'll have a crew base on the west and a crew base in the east, and ne'er the twain shall meet. <laughs> well, simplify things. Makes sense. Um, I think that's a show, guys. We're gonna in the in the bonus show for our Patreon subscribers. We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, a charter waiver for Afghanistan, uh, Singapore, Germany travel corridor, and uh, some booze still not being served in coach. So if you want to stick around for that and you're a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Uh, if you'd like to become one, you can hear the bonus content. Just go to uh, our Patreon, our website uh, at dots lines on Twitter, more dots more lines dot com. Thanks for listening. Happy travels. Bye bye. Take care. See you later.